Excellent. Let's do it. Live from the center of the earth, girth. Thank you, Steve, for taking some time and uh, talking to me. You you have a talk, um, Total Clips of the Art, at Camp Festival uh, 2017 in Calgary. Uh, and it has many 80 themes. I just want to know what are some of your favorite 80s bands? Ooh, the good... Uh... I know we're starting off hot, right? Yeah, I know. Coming right into the meat of the content. Well, I tried to include a, a few of them in there. Obviously, Guns N' Roses makes an appearance. We got uh, uh, Wham is in there, which is uh, I think there's no uh, you know it's, it's a it's a not used that much, but I think an essential for anyone's '80s library. Yeah. And then there's uh, try to stick to the the classic rock. Anything within that, that's sort of my uh, my thing. You know, get the Bowie. I think we had Bowie in there. Yeah. Nice. Are you listening to music when you write your daily haikus? Oh, I'm not. No, I'm usually usually trying to capture an Instagram story when I write my daily haikus. It's sort of the inspiration for those haikus or wherever I'm traveling, what I'm doing. I tend to be on the road a lot, so mm-hmm. they're, a good, uh, they're a good fodder for content. What about when you're actually creating some of the work that you do for current studios? Are you listening to music then? Is that influencing you at all, or are you just kind of... Yeah, no, I always have music on, or I'm in a public place. I tend to either work in the office with music, uh, or go to, like right now, I'm in a pub at a Rockefeller Center, and you can hear the horns, but they have a decent soundtrack, and it allows me to sort of uh, zone out and uh, think of whatever, uh, whatever experience we're going to come up with next. I don't work well in silence. That's part of the creative journey that you talked about in uh, your talk, right? The total clips of the art. Do you want to just kind of expand a little bit on what that talk is and what are some of the themes and some of the ideas? Sure. The talk itself is based off of this, this sort of concept that there's an emotional process to create everything. So it's sort of a whirlwind journey of starting in this sort of honeymoon phase and, and going through, you know, as you go through the project and it becomes difficult or there's the regular things of communication with regards to expectations or maybe things don't go as planned and you have to sort of not fight your way through it, but, but really make an effort to kind of stay on top of it emotionally, but also in terms of tasks in order to come out the other side. And, you know, most of the time, I mean, in the, in my capacity current studios or, or really anywhere else is that you have to trust that the process is going to end up in a positive way. So in, when I saw this, this the first time this part of like this the emotional the creative process of creating anything um it kind of reminded me of this story of uh human relationships and love so that's where the that's where the tie-in to total clips of the art came which is this idea that you know the line from it every now and then i fall apart is definitely a moment in uh, every project where you feel like you're not sure you're going to get through it and you know you need to you need to you know you just lean into it and, uh, and power through it. Yeah, Jeff Bezos, the Amazon guy, he has a, a great motto or great, I guess, like standard or whatever for the Amazon team. It's unflexible vision, but flexible in the details. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I, I, I can kind of, obviously, I mean, everyone can echo, echo that. It's Jeff. I mean, he's a master, but the, in the talk, it sort of talks, you know, the, the premise is that as you begin this journey, it's, it's, it's heavy on, on, um, the outcome and let you on details. You try to align everybody with this, the grander vision and what you want to achieve so that everyone's focused on that rather than uh, signing rules of like how it must be done because it's, it's not only unfair to the team, but it's almost impossible to predict what is the thing that won't, that won't go as planned. And how do you maintain an op- optimism then? 
I know it's part might be part of the talk, but it's like how do you maintain that optimism then when especially like as you said, things may not go according to plan or things may even just go completely wrong. There there's a lot of variables in the creative uh, operation no matter what kind of work you're doing. Yeah, I think the optimism comes from well, let's just boil it to two points. I think one of them is you need to expect that it's gonna get bad. I think that it's hard to be optimistic when you're blindsided by either like a tragedy or just something not going your way or continuous days of just frustration. But if you allow yourself to know that that's going to happen and be comfortable with it coming, it's easier to maintain an optimistic outlook because you know you're going, it's just part of that process. And then the second point that sort of helps you get through it, I I think, is is this idea of humor and family. And again, that's, you know, leaning on your friends and family outside of work or within the work environment or within outside of your creative environment. And then, and then, you know, the tool for me definitely is just to try to make light of it without, you know, without being disrespectful and obviously to work or to, to your team, but to allow, just to allow people to relax a little bit and know that, again, if you're able to kind of laugh at how crazy some things can get, it's easier to, to find a solution. You mentioned friends and family. What about working with the client then? Do they kind of, does that also kind of give you some support in a sense? Or is it, I know you've had many different relationships with, with many different clients. So how does that well, relationship I, kind of feed into yeah, that no, optimism? I that's a good point. I, I mean, it's funny because I, I don't really address that because I think that, you know, the client can be anything for, for a lot of different people. But that that is probably the toughest point for someone to model is because it's such a interpersonal relationship with the client and understanding the way that they see these processes go, like they see the creative process, which for some clients, there is no, they, the bridge between their work and the creative process they're going through might be too too great for, for the type of empathy that you're seeking. But the working relationship, uh, again, with clients, just like with the team, does come down to being able to understand each other. And, um, you know, in the, in the face of, say, adversity or just, frustration, uh, being able to maintain a cool head takes perspective and being able to give that to the client um, or having a client that can give that to you is definitely valuable. And is the anxiety and the roller, the emotional roller coaster that you're talking about um, in terms of creation and in terms of setbacks and frustrations and flipping the table sometimes when things don't go right, is that different because you are working with a client versus then just say creating art or creating some sort of uh, website or something just for yourself? Like sim- if you're writing a novel, you don't really have any other expectations, right? You just sit down and just kind of write the novel for yourself. But when you're working with a client, there's a whole set of expectations and rules and all kinds of things that are involved. And does that create kind of part of the stress and some of the anxiety? I think it can. I, I think though a lot of the stress and anxiety comes from what we're trying to control. So I think if you were to take if you were to remove the client environment, make it a personal project, like let's say writing a song or reading a book or like the, the examples you mentioned, the you still apply this pressure to yourself about what the outcome should be. You know, you have an expectation of why you're writing that book or or painting that uh, that picture, and and you're going to apply. You know, you, you're you likely will get being unhappy with something that you started with, or you may rewrite a chapter or go back to it a thousand times. Or you may burn through ideas and feel like you have none left, and then four days later have the the one that takes you over the line. So I think that you know, in various scales, it doesn't. You know, obviously, if you're dealing with a lot of money and a lot of people and a lot of personalities, it can be complicated. But I, 
feel that the emotional journey is there for everybody no matter what. And what about the physical journey? Because you went from Halifax to New York City. Yeah. That's, yeah. Those are two different cities completely. Yeah, they are. Yeah, <laughs> they're, love- they're amazingly complementing because you get uh, the energy of the, the fast pace of New York and the um, an exposure to sort of some crazy levels of work from the sheer number of people that are here, not just in your industry, but in anything. You know, you're... you're where you get to escape, I get to escape, or I had the opportunity to escape that with, with heading back to Halifax and being able to sit in our office there with our, our dev team and, you know, looking out over the harbor and just having a, a breath, you know, taking a, taking a moment. As I think, you know, no matter what market, I mean, even New York, everyone leaves or tries to leave and head out to their, to their sort of box to get away from the city, you see in Toronto, Los Angeles, everywhere. And Nova Scotia just happens to be a place that's like that all the time, so you can you know, I don't need to escape so much as just take a moment. So it was a, it was a, it's been an interesting ride so far. Why New York City and not like LA or Chicago or something like that? Well, we, we yeah, we didn't have a, a destination in mind when we started the process of going, hey, we're doing a lot more work in the US. But, you know, we did 90% of our work at the border. So it was, we should be there. And I was traveling 300 flights, I think I did in two years. And then going, okay, if we're going to open an office, we do have clients in the, those three locations, actually, their primary markets, is New York, Chicago, and L.A. And for for me, the unknown entity of I've never opened an office that's been uh, outside of the office I've also worked in. It's a new thing for me. And then knowing that the time zone would be only one hour difference instead of four was the biggest factor, truthfully. It was, if we need access to our talent in Halifax, having them feel next door or one and a half hour flight away, it's a lot easier than uh, taking a day trip uh, on a plane to, um, to Los Angeles. I mean, maybe it would be in the plan in the future, but right now we're trying to get, uh, to get this all put together. And when we talk about uh, opening offices and stuff, we're talking about current studios. So yes, we are. Okay. when you want to give like a little breakdown of what current studios is or like what your mission statement is or what's your tagline, what's your pitch? Sure. We are a uh, we are an experienced uh, design company that connects the physical and digital world. So our focus is on technology and the creative use of technology in innovative ways. We just try to take things that are either in the process of being made or new to market and finding new use for them. Like you know, this could be things like some of the artificial intelligence tools or some of the haptic sensors that are available or augmented realities. You know, obviously a pretty hot topic right now. Mm-hmm. So those are, you know, we work in these these spaces to try to do something that either we haven't done before or that most consumers haven't uh, or the audience we're working with has not done before. Yeah, I want to highlight a couple of the projects you've done because they stood out to me and I thought they were really cool. One of them was the, the Tribreca reactor. Yeah. Explain what that is because it, it was super neat when I was watching the videos online. And- sure. So we we were we partnered with uh, Jay Walter Thompson in New York City. This was right after we uh, opened up our shop in Brooklyn, and the brief was was kind of simple and and, uh, and beautiful. It was create an artificially intelligent acting judge, so that people could see how they fared against some classic movies. And uh, the slate was pretty clean for us to sort of look at what ways we could do that and how we could give an, an actual judging experience. So the Tribeca reactor was the outcome. It's like a nine-foot-tall 
cabinet looks like an old uh, video arcade game. Yeah, and like a Pac-Man or Centipedes or something. Yeah, yeah, just like that. And you, you're able to use a touch screen to select the classic scene like Star Wars or, uh, you know, I think Harry Met Sally's in there. Um, Dirty Dancing, there's a number of them. Uh, you pick the scene and you have three chances to audition. And uh, we use the depth sensing camera to track your uh, face, you know, your emotional state of your face against the original clip, as well as your hand gestures, your uh, the tone of your voice, and the delivery. So we, we basically, it's kind of like karaoke, but maybe a little bit more complex in terms of the inputs we're using. And we deliver you the score. And if you got above 96%, you got two free tickets to the festival. It was, uh, it was pretty awesome. Yeah, sounds like people had the time of their life. So yeah, they got the Dirty Dancing reference in there and then the other one that was really neat was the um nba all-star the 2015 for the bloomingdale's interactive window yeah that was a rapid project that we that we worked with uh with nba entertainment directly here in new york it was one of the first installations we've ever done where we physically had to go and make something and yeah it was it was just trying to give people uh get people into the excitement of around all-star weekend in, uh, I think it was in New York at the time. And these passersby could, could in, in February, walk up to Bloomingdale's window and shoot some digital baskets and some hoops and, um, and really just sort of accumulate points to the crowd roar, uh, compete with each other. But it was, it was largely just for fun. And so, what is it that you're looking for when you type, when you get these types of projects or like you mentioned, like the, the Tribeca brief, what is it that you're looking for or what kind of, what is it standing out to you or like, Oh, we got to get involved in this or that sparks an idea. Well, yeah, with, with both those projects you mentioned, one was that we had this, you know, with NBA, it was a quick challenge to see if we could create a crowd interaction uh, or, you know, like people that are uninterested in the busy street of New York to draw them into something. And, and trying to find a simple way to do that. And that was interesting for us then. And we, and, and because we hadn't, hadn't done it ourselves. And with Reactor, it was this, this idea of doing three things, which was we had the opportunity to make something, um, we, and, and meet some new partners within, within the city to do so. But we also got to write, um, get, you know, sort of dabble into this sort of AI world, which was something we'd been toying with in, in our lab, but not something we had built. And then, also, just be on the ground and see how people interact with these things and, and learn from that, which is something that when we were only in Nova Scotia, we didn't have the opportunity to do is see how the things we made were actually used and what people took from them. And it's, I think it's made us a, a better shop. You keep mentioning like toying with these devices or these apps or augmented reality. You keep uh, mentioning like you're looking for the experiences that people are having, the reactions that they're having to these things. Is that part of the the creative uh, mentality, I guess, of what the work that you're doing, where you just you basically you want to create a playground and you just want to play with these toys, these digital toys? Yeah, I mean, our interest, you know, our team's interest is in just exploring all of that stuff. It's a lot of fun, you know, to try to can we take can we create energy from sound waves or can we, you know, track an object in augmented reality in, in Central Park without any, you know any reference other than geography, I, I think, um, you know, that's on, on the internal side. On the external side, it's, it is truly just about, you know, there are a number of ways to be memorable, I guess, and and in, and because we're sort of primarily in this commercial experience business where we're helping brands connect with people, we find that, you know, everyone is looking for a break from the ordinary or what they're expecting. And 
we, you know, our, our mechanism to do that is to try to use technology to deliver that in a unique way, but not make the technology the thing people think about. We want them to focus on the way that they played or interacted or just, um, you know, experience that, that moment. And so how do you divide your time then between like thinking about this stuff, working, creating, trying to even predict the future too, because this stuff is all changing the whole, you mentioned like augmented reality. There's all kinds of uh, theories and ideas now kind of floating around with that experiments. How do you balance your time uh, working, dreaming, creating and predicting? That is something that I think I'll always be working at. (laughs) I uh, (laughs) haven't yet found the balance is sort of driven by that, that, you know, you can, even knowing that there's that emotional process to create something, when you're in that process, you're in it. And uh, my role is still to be in that, but also in a few other things at the same time. So that, that's something I definitely need to, uh, that I continue to try to work on. Um, but, it, you know, it, it, it ends up being that, for me, I think 20 to 30% of my day is, is spent in the thought process, which isn't, which isn't like sitting in a room and not doing anything. It's thinking while I'm, you know, heading to work or attending, a, you know, a, a local college sort of, uh, tech, you know, technical fair to see what they're doing or a maker fair or the events like, uh, like camp. Because uh, I find all those things are feed what I need to, to be able to, to do my job and, and think the way I, you know, you know I'm asked to. Um, yeah, it's, it, we rarely, for us, we rarely have uh, two weeks to think of come up with a concept and how we deliver it. It's usually a matter of hours, days. So you almost have to sort of always be thinking of things, writing them down so that you can easily refer to them uh, when the time comes. That makes sense. So do you have any cool projects coming up that you can talk about? Hmm. We are, we are building a, I can't say it's fine, but we're building this sort of interactive game at an amusement park in Florida for, uh, for kids. And it's not the one you're thinking of, <laughs> but it, uh, it's sort of a Pokemon Go type style of a game, which is a trend, obviously, right now, but in, in using a variety of other technologies for the uh, integrated into the park rather than just the magnetic reality. Um, what else we have sort of, there's a, there's a few, th- there's a few interesting little perspectives. Uh, another sort of large in- mixed reality installation that will be in early 2018 that is sort of a take on a on a classic board game, but with a bit more sort of novelty and, and, uh, and interaction with people. But yeah, I can't talk too much about what we have fun. You seem to kind of stay on, the, I guess, the, the corporate side of the house, for lack of a better term, like the corporate side where like you work with a lot of clients, like I mentioned yeah. the NBA, Tribeca Film Festival. Uh, you've worked with like um, Marvel, HBO, a number of companies. Do you ever want to do something just creative just for the sake of creative like like just an art installation of some kind or something like that or like we have here in toronto nuit blanche those kind of things would you ever just want to that's that's a good point so i'm uh i think yes i do but uh i know our company always does the people want to and uh we actually have they're in halifax there's a uh in uh like a night art festival very installations and, and called Nocturne. Something it's similar? Nocturne there in, yeah. in Halifax, and we're actually doing an installation for that, which is just entirely driven by our, our creative team and uh, our animation team there. We have some pretty awesome, talented people, and they came up with an idea and said, we'd love to be able to do this. It doesn't really have anything to do with our business. It's probably never going to be able to be used for clients, but we think it would be just cool to, to be able to take the time to do that and see how people respond to it and uh, that's a, that's a kind of an exciting thing. So I don't I don't get the chance myself to do that too much, 
again, outside of just like I play music and enjoy that, and I do some writing on occasion. Or, but um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely everyone needs a creative outlet. Mm-hmm. To kind of go full circle, how we started, then how did the uh, the talk go uh, at Camp Festival uh, in Calgary? Where what was the responses? Because that's one of the things you like to measure. You were saying right how people kind of interact and things like that. So the people kind of dig it. I think so. I, I so what was interesting is uh, the room I was in was the, the smaller of the two rooms, and I, I think it fit a hundred people or something. And what was nice about it is that I could see a lot of the faces around me, so I could feel that I was talking to people uh, and seeing nods and seeing people see a slide and sort of laugh or relate to it. I mean, I think the reason why I try to choose a bit of a humorous subject to talk about these things that everyone takes just very seriously is so that I can gauge the reaction of the crowd while I'm talking. You know, if there's nothing happening and no one is making a sound, then I know the content's probably not resonating with anybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not really about trying to be funny, but more about trying to get a reaction that can build, you know, build that momentum of, of that group viewing experience of, of the talk. So I think it went well. I had a lot of good feedback uh, after I enjoyed it. Um, and um, I got to meet some, some awesome people. Cool. Thank you, Steve, for taking some time and like giving us a break from the ordinary and in some cases even giving us a break from reality. So thanks. Yeah, awesome, thanks a lot. I appreciate you uh, giving me a call. Thank you.